Don't touch that dial. You've tuned in to The Great TV Podcast with Jim Harold. Whether they're current or classic, let's talk about the best shows ever made. Welcome to The Great TV Podcast. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you once again. And a quick note before we get into our interview with Kathy Coleman from Land of the Lost, a classic I loved as a kid, and I think you'll enjoy this interview. When we're doing various podcasts uh, in a professional manner as a business, we have to at times look at various programs. It's kind of like planting a garden. Sometimes you plant, sometimes you pluck up, sometimes you weed or maybe you prune a little bit. And I would call this a pruning. All of my paranormal podcasts you may listen to, my true crime podcast are going to continue as usual. But the great TV podcast is at least momentarily going to be pruned. When we look at different shows that we do, we have limited resources and limited time, but we still put out something like anywhere between 16 to 20 podcasts a month. And that's a lot for basically one individual. Of course, I have some people helping me, my great virtual assistant, Maddie, and also have some great editors uh, that will help us, but it's still a lot for one person. So I have to take a look at the shows where people say, yeah, I love that. And they show that by listening and large numbers. And then I have to look at shows that may be labors of love for me and things I love to do, but maybe the audience isn't quite there. There just doesn't seem to be that appeal. And when you look at this show, I'm extremely proud of it. If you go back and listen to some of the people we've had a chance to speak with, Ed Asner from the Mary Tyler Moore show, Mary Ann or Don Wells, actually, from Gilligan's Island, Don Most from Happy Days, Judy Norton from The Waltons, Michael Learned from The Waltons, Dick DiBartolo, we've talked to, uh, done some, some great interviews with some great authors uh, that have done books by people, about people like Jim Henson and Rod Serling, did a great show on Johnny Carson. There's so many excellent shows in this series, I feel. So I'm very proud of it, but we are going to step away from this and this podcast only. All other podcasts will remain the same under Jim Harold Media, all of the paranormal podcasts, you may enjoy the true crime show. Don't worry, they're all going to be there. But this show, uh, there are no plans for new episodes going forward. Now, that may change. I'm actually uh, leaving the episodes up and leaving an open mind. But we have to look at uh, 2018 and our plans for 2018. And at this time, for next year, there is no plan to continue with the great TV podcast. That being said, if you are listening to this and this is the first time you've listened, don't despair. There's a great back catalog. I hope you'll go back and listen to it. Heck, if enough people do that, maybe I'll reconsider at some point in the future. We thank you so much for listening. I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Now, uh, apologies to Kathy. We did this a few months back, but I think it's a great time. She has a book uh, that she's promoting and, uh, if you're a fan of this show, I'm sure it'd make a great holiday gift. We thank you so much for tuning in to the Great TV Podcast. Now we're going to talk all about Land of the Lost. If you're like me, you grew up with the TV show Land of the Lost. And today we have one of the stars, Kathy Coleman, and she's going to discuss her roller coaster life before and after the hit TV show. She has a recent book out, Run, Holly, Run. And she is going to tell us all about being a part of Land of the Lost, life before, life after, and we're so glad to have her with us. Kathy, welcome to the program today. Ah, Jim, thanks for having me. We were talking before the show, before we started recording, and, you know, 
myself, like so many other people, I'm sure you hear it time after time after time, grew up with Land of the Lost. It's really, you know, it's lived way beyond its years. Uh, I mean, people still remember that show. Yeah, like like we were saying, you know, all week long, you know, we went to school and then our parents were working and come Saturday morning, you know, that was when our parents wanted to sleep in and the living room was ours, you know, for those three or four hours that we got all of that Saturday morning lineup. And, uh, you know, you had three channels at that time and you had to get up to turn the TV and pray to God that the, you know, that your station came in. And so our, our fans are so loyal because of that very reason. And, and to this day, we have um, a very large fan base, you know, so it's kind of like I got a cult following. Yeah, it is so neat. It was so neat. And so much of what you say, that I think a lot of that's lost. You know, now we've got a million channels. We've got streaming. We can watch anything we want to. But we've lost something, too. We've lost that, first of all. You said the television, usually it was the only television in the house, unless somebody had one of those little <laughs> teeny tiny portable jobs. And then secondly, it was a shared experience. You know, you go back to school on Monday and say, hey, did you see what happened on Land of the Lost last week? Absolutely. Yeah, we don't have that anymore. And I think, you know, in a way it, it kind of uh, disunifies our society because we don't have that common shared experience, even if it was a TV show, it was something that we all New and loved. Now, this show was on. You played uh, Holly from 1974 to 1977. How did the the role of Holly happen for you on Land of the Lost? You know, God God works in mysterious ways. That's what I always say. And and just when you think it's kind of like when you're shopping for a house and you don't get that one house that you thought you had to have. And then two months later, you're in a house that you really, really love. And you go, you know, it's a good thing we didn't get that house. It's kind of my story is kind of like that. I went on an audition back in 74 for a show, which actually came on. I believe it was before Land of the Lost on the Saturday morning lineup. It was called Run, Joe, Run. And it had a German Shepherd in it. Anyway, I went on an audition for just one episode and I got the call back and uh, it was down to Christy McNichol and myself. Well, I didn't get it. Christy got it. And uh, so the following, the same week, I think I auditioned for that maybe on a Tuesday and on Thursday, my agent called and said I had another audition. So back into Hollywood, we went and uh, I auditioned for Land of the Lost. Well, seven callbacks later, and I landed Land of the Lost. Now, had I got that one episode on Run, Joe, Run, I'd have been filming that Thursday and unable to even audition for Land of the Lost. So when I say he works in mysterious ways, you know, I was bummed out. I thought, oh, this show has a dog on it. I'd love to get this show. You know, so anyway traded one episode for an entire series and the most incredible life that came with having that series. I, I have Wesley Yor and Phil Paley, my, my cast members, are, are my family, like as if they were my real family. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we still to this day, we do a lot of shows together. We're getting ready to do another show here in a little while. And we just love each other. 
we laugh and play and, and so much fun. Now, when you were on the show, what was that like to be a star of a, a very popular show among people your same age? Well, you know, while I was filming it, I actually really had no idea what was what was going to happen with the show. It was pretty much a job. It was a fun job. I, I had no idea, really, until actually there was a, a psychic who came uh, onto the set one day. His name was Criswell. And uh, he made a prediction that the show was going to be number one. And and we, you know, we were like, yeah, that's great, you know. And then it was. <laughs> it was number one all three seasons. But he was a famous psychic in Los Angeles at the time. And so anyway, yeah, I really didn't, I didn't have a, I didn't get get the spectrum of it while I was on the show. I was just working and having fun. And then, you know, once the episode started airing and I started getting a little feedback, then I began to notice. But, you know, being a celebrity or whatever, it's it, it's fun. It, 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 there's a side to it that's a lot of fun. But the best part of it is um, uh, here, listening to the listening to the stories and and how it had an effect on other people's lives at these uh, conventions that we do, these Comic Con type conventions. People come up and say, we were from a broken home, and uh, our show was a single parent raising two kids, and they said that really helped us. We thought if you guys could do it, we could do it. So you, you just really never know what effect you have. You know, I'm here, I'm going to the set, and I, I know my lines, and Phil Paley, who was Chaka, by the way, he and I are a year different in age. And and we just play in between scenes. We'd play. We had to go to school for three hours, of course. We'd get in school, and when there was you know time available, we'd get our schoolwork all done, and then we just run around. We had two sound stages, which were like playgrounds. <laughs> we'd get into all kinds of trouble and all kinds of stuff. It was a gas. Now the brain trust behind this show and so many things in the seventies. Sid and Marty Croft. What were they like? Well, one of them is the creative genius, which is Sid, and the other one is the business mind. They did come on the set periodically, not a lot, but, you know, they'd come on, they'd bring, you know, NBC, you know, heads of, you know, CEOs and uh, presidents and all that kind of stuff. They'd come on with people, and sometimes they'd bring in celebrities that they wanted to show off their show to and stuff, but... Not a whole lot. And, and plus, I was a kid, so they may have come on and, and had discussions with Wesley, who played my brother, because he was, you have to keep in mind, he was an adult when he was on the show. And so, you know, the person that I hung out with the most was Phil, because he was my age. And when they'd all, you know, group together and start talking business and what the ratings were and how much money was coming in, and I didn't even care about that. I, on the set, I had Phil to play with, and uh, at home, because my mother and I had, had this little deal going that if I ever landed a series, she would buy me a pony. And uh, the day we signed the contract for Land of the Lost, my mom stayed true to her word, took me out, and bought me a pony that day. So when I wasn't filming, I was riding my pony. So that was my world. So the time during the show sounds like it was really great. I do have to ask you one thing. Did you ever have any nightmares about the Slee Stack? 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> Those guys were super neat, neat and fun guys. They were all uh, basketball players, professional basketball players. Wow, that's pretty cool. Bill Lambeer, who was a uh, uh, Detroit Piston, he was one of our sleeve jacks. And uh, the rest of them, some of them were from, uh, they weren't professional at the time, but we had a few out of UCLA college ball, college players. But these guys were like 6'10", 7'1", and then they put on those 10-inch boots that were in the sleeve jack thing, and then the horn on top of the head. These guys were massive, but those those costumes were wetsuits. The base of them were a wetsuit with scales and stuff all attached to them. But just like if you ever drive down the coast, you see surfers with their wetsuit peeled down to their hips. That, that's basically what I saw during the day. So uh, they, they could, uh, it was so hot on the set with the overhead lights and everything that they could only be fully uh, suited for maybe sometimes only 60 seconds at a time. So their scenes had to go fairly quick. Now, it seems like an enchanted time during the run of the show. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, it seems to me if you're on a show that's that successful, when it comes to end, it's got to be a tough transition. Was it a tough transition for you? It was melancholy. It was sad that I wasn't going to see these people every day. And uh, it was nice that, you know, I was going to be able to have some time more with my pony and uh, my family and at home. But, you know, like kind of like anything, you know, once I got home and after about a week, I was missing being on the set, you know. (laughs) So at that point, did you try to continue in acting? Well, I, of course, I continued to go on interviews and things, but I was just about 15 when the show ended. And when I would go on interviews, it it became a very frustrating process for me because when you're 15 and you are the size that I am, I was of a normal height for my, well, maybe even a little bit taller. I was 5'8 at 15. And, um, some of these kids that were in the entertainment business at the time, and I'm sure you're familiar with them, like a Gary Coleman or something. I mean, at 30 years old, the guy could play 12, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, They were much older than they played, yeah. Right, right, right. So for me, I would go on auditions, and I'd be sitting in the audition room with girls that looked about the same age as me but were 18. And they would much rather hire an 18-year-old because they don't have to deal with teachers, uh, a time schedule. You know, they, they can work an 18-year-old till the wee hours of the morning, but they have to treat a minor completely different. So, you know, I, I, I didn't actually work that much between 15 and 18. However, one weird <laughs> thing happened for me. I auditioned for some Burger King commercials, a whole series of them. And we went in on the audition in groups of four. We had to sing and, and stuff. So uh, I went in with my group and uh, I was picked out of my group. So they did not pick three of the girls. They picked me. And then out of another group of four, they picked three of the girls and put me in with them. And I was 17 and a half at the time. So... These girls are 21 and 23, 
from my the other group that they put me in, but they were willing to go through the hassle of having me be a minor and uh, stick me in that group. So I wound up working at 17 and a half, which is pretty much unheard of. Our guest today is Kathy Coleman. She played Holly on the TV classic Land of the Lost. We're talking about that and her life afterwards and her recent book, Run, Holly, Run. Now, Kathy, so so you did that work when you were 17 and a half. As you grew into adulthood, did you find uh, work to, easier to get? Well, what happened was um, I got married <laughs> at 18. I got married. And uh, the person that I married, um, he was the grandson of uh, the founder of Bel Air, California. Anyway, his father was into oil and gas, but he also was a farmer. And he bought a big ranch in Nevada, and he asked my husband and I if we wanted to cross that bridge and work on the farm and move out of Los Angeles and go to Nevada. And we said, sure. And we went and we lived out on the farm for five years. Now, when I say a farm, this wasn't, you know, a a pig, a cow, and a chicken. This was, uh, we were milking 10,000 gallons of milk a day and uh, producing 12,000 hogs a year. So this was a state-of-the-art, all automatic, all everything working dairy farm and hog farm. So I did that, and then I came back to L.A. I did some plays. Oh, gosh, you know, I've done, it's in the book. <laughs> I've done so many things. I've lived in Mexico. I've, I've lived on sailing boats. I've, I've done all kinds of And um, so, I, I mean, do you feel that, do you ever wonder if you, you should have stayed in Los Angeles and continued on the acting track, or are you glad you did the, the farm work? You know what? I, I don't live in that world of I wish I, I should have, could have. I don't go there. You know what? Life took me where it took me, and I have no regrets. I just actually did a film. Gosh, I, it, it took like six months to shoot this film. It was bro- my, my scenes were broken up over like a six-month period. And uh, the funny thing about it is uh, another one of those God works in mysterious ways that husband that I moved to the farm with, his brother plays my husband in, in the new film that I just did. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and he's an actor. His name's Billy Moses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember him. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's his brother. Now, it sounds like, from what I've been able to glean, that there were some tough times, though. I mean, you you went to work on the farm, but you definitely, it was not all sweetness and light. Uh, you had some tough times. What were some of the things that uh, that you had to fight through? Well, I can just label them like divorces and, you know, bad relationships and things like that. But what it, it really boils down to is, I guess I was just so naive. <laughs> I just didn't realize that people didn't like themselves. And when they don't, you are the target. That was a hard one for me to grasp. I, I didn't understand that that's why people were so cruel is because they just didn't like themselves. And and there's a lot of those people out here. And, and I was just really naive. I, I actually just sort of was content and, and liked myself. And, and that's not coming from ego. I, I believe you me, 
just like every other teenager, just like any other woman, I have got more self-doubt about myself, (laughs) you know, that they're kept in check. I mean, I don't, just because I don't necessarily like the way a pair of pants fit me, I don't take it out on anybody. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I just have had people in my life that don't like something about themselves and then try to tear me down because of it. And that's really basically why I wrote this book was because we're all in this together and the book is about oneness. And so that's why I was okay with opening my curtains to my window of life and let everybody see, you know, it, you know, yes, I was on television and yes, that was cool. And I had a fun life and stuff, but I also had a real life. It doesn't exclude you. It doesn't exclude you from having people leave you, dump you, you know, hurt you. It doesn't, it doesn't remove you out of that club. Now, if I understand correctly, a lot of your kind of maybe improving your life and having a better outlook and kind of recovering from some of these different things that happened to you that you've actually fed off the positive energy of the fans of land of the, of the lost and, and tried to turn that into, you know, kind of positive energy. Absolutely. When people come up to my table at these autograph signings, they don't walk away with just a signed uh, eight by 10 photo. <laughs> they get all kinds of stuff. They get a grab bag. <laughs> Of, of emotions and, and love and happiness. And I give them the whole nine yards. You know, I listen to their stories and I share mine. And, you know, they always walk away very happy that they that they came by. And that's, that's my goal. Now, in 2009, there was a revival, a big screen revival. Now, I had read somewhere that they had shot scenes with you, but they didn't use them. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Wesley, the brother who played the character Will, he and I both did a cameo. And uh, they had five different endings, and our cameo was one of the endings. And uh, they just opted to go with another one. And at first, because we actually hadn't seen the film when we found out that our cameo had been cut, but looking back, we were very grateful that it did get cut because the movie was a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. It wasn't even Land of the Lost. They, they strapped our name to it and, and made a complete mess out of our show. It doesn't surprise me. It lacked, it lacked the very things that made the show what it was to begin with. The morals, the family uh, it, it just, they just completely zapped it. Yeah. That, none of that's in style anymore. That's not, uh, that's not with the times. That's not cool. Unfortunately. Well, the truth is, and we were, I was just discussing this with my wife. It seems like Hollywood these days, all they can do with the exception, there's some great television shows, dramatic television shows, but with the exception of that, particularly the movies, it's just so derivative. It's like, Oh, we're going to remake X movie. In fact, I think it was working girl, that movie with Melanie Griffith and, uh, uh, Harrison Ford, and they're going to be remaking that. And it's like, well, why do, first of all, it's not going to be anywhere near as good. Just like Land of the Lost, the movie wasn't nearly as good as the TV show. And uh, it just seems like there's a lack of, uh, particularly movies, a real lack of uh, creativity. Let's just try to, like you said, slap a name on something. Hopefully it'll pick up some ticket sales and go on to the next thing. It's It's actually a real shame because 
with the technology that was available today for our show, we had a fabulous director too. And <laughs> I don't know what happened because when we were, when I went on the, the first meet, uh, meeting to meet this, this director of the film, I thought, oh my God, he was talking to me. And I thought, my God, he is going to make the best film. His energy was perfect. He really knew the show. And I, I was real connected with him. And, and then for this to come out, but the shame back to the shame of it was the show had so much potential to be a great film. Because all the, the people that ever complain about our show, especially if they are watching it today, they always say, God, you know, but the special effects, that all could have been taken care of, you know, but they still love the message and the the stories of Land of the Lost and the, the sci-fi aspect of it. I mean, even today, the sci-fi writing still holds up. It was very sophisticated for its day. Do you know who our writers were? Who were your writers? David Gerald, DC Fontana. We had all the same writers from Star Trek. Wow. Wow, that's very cool. And we had also the same makeup men that were Star Trek as well. Mike Westmore, who does that um, today, he's doing a show called Face Off, but he was part of the Westmore brothers, and they were equals to Max Factor in Hollywood. You know, when you look at the credits, you know, um, for the I Love Lucy show, you see Lucille Ball's makeup done by Max Factor. You know, we just see those names these days and just think it's just some company. Right. That was a real person. <laughs> that was a man. Max Factor. That's who he was. And I'm, I'm telling you, the Westmores, they were equals to Max Factor in the day. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when people watch something like Land of the Lost, they compare it in their mind to these big budget affairs. You guys were on a children's show budget. I know, I know. Uh, I mean, to do what you were, what they were able to do with the budget they had is pretty amazing. And the technology, or I should say the lack of technology. But you know what? In 1974, that was state-of-the-art. It was stop-motion animation. It was video blended with, you know, two different videos running simultaneously. So that that really, truly was state-of-the-art for back then. We didn't have so many, you know how they they say, well, you can see the lines around people, you know? Right. We didn't have it too, too bad. I've, I've seen worse. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I even remember, you know, NBC was still running reruns of this in the the 90s, I think, during uh, Saturday mornings, because I remember uh, now I'm remembering I was sitting on my couch in my first apartment and it was 1993, I think it was. And Land of the Lost was on. And it's like, oh, it's just like being a kid again. So, I mean, uh, and it does it does continue to play here and there, doesn't it? Well, for a while, it, it became part of the Croft Super, Super Show, I think it was called, uh, Croft Super Hour or something like that. It was on in the afternoons because I run into fans these days who say, I, I never missed it. I watched it every day after school. Well, in its original release, it was on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. So they were part of the a little bit younger age that caught it in the reruns in the afternoon. But I'm telling you, that show is like it's got I Love Lucy tendencies. <laughs> it's, it never has been off the air. If it isn't on 
one channel, it's on another. It was just recently run for a, quite a while on MeTV. Oh, yeah, MeTV. Right. It was on, oh, gosh, we did an awards show. At oh, TV Land. TV Land, yes. It was on TV Land for a while. It's been on the Sci-Fi Network. So, um, and then every once in a while, they do a marathon where it runs for like three days in a row nonstop. <laughs> That's going to be gratifying, though, to know that you are a part of something that, and I hate to get morbid, but that will be playing probably 50, 100 years from now when we're all gone. That's got to be... It's an honor. It's an absolute honor. And sometimes I have to pinch myself because, you know what, I think we all have an inner need to leave something behind to show that we came, you know what I mean? To show that we came here. And um, not everybody gets the, the chance to do that. And so, yes, it's, a, it's an absolute honor. I don't take it for granted at all. Now, I have to ask this. You said you're not one to go back and coulda, woulda, shoulda. But it, do you ever turn on the TV and see Holly there, a young Kathy, and say, hey, kid, I wish I could tell you this, this, and this. Did, does that ever run through your mind? <laughs> you ask really good questions. Well, Jim. thank you. Thank you. You're asking really good questions. What happened is uh, that sort of reminds me of this question. We were at Comic Con a few years ago, and uh, they we were doing a panel, which is you know they bring in like a I don't know up to a thousand people will come in and listen to you speak, right? So Wesley, my brother Will. Chaka and myself are sitting up on stage and they have a big screen and they're running one of the episodes in front of the audience and, and we're commenting, you know, on, on different parts of it. We're laughing and everything. Well, all of a sudden up comes this scene where I'm crying and I'm holding on to my brother in the scene and I'm crying and I'm watching this and I start bawling my eyes out on the set. Because I was watching this little girl, even though she's acting, it's still her having these emotions and then it's me and I was able to see it and I just wanted to hug me, you know. <laughs> I wanted to just hug me because, you know, you don't have like probably too many you might have a videotape that your mom took of you or dad took of you riding your bike for the first time. You may have that, but I was showing like like emotion, like a, a real strong emotion in this clip. And to watch myself do that, even though it is, like I said, acting, it's still, I had to drum up emotion in order to do it in an acting way. So it's sort of got a, ten, a, a piece of reality to it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is that if I could go back and tell myself something, I'd go, buy Apple stock. Buy Apple stock. Buy Apple. No, <laughs> I'm just joking. In more true to the question that you asked me, I probably would tell myself, you know, to beware of these people that, you know, that say things that are about you that are really just a mere reflection of themselves and don't take it personally. Because for many years, when people would say things to me, I really owned them. And they didn't belong to me. They belonged to the person who was saying it to me. And they should have kept it and not given it to me. <laughs> That's so true. I didn't want it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've had some of the, the more extreme things that 
that are described in the book, I've had a relatively calm life, but it took me the longest time to figure out that uh, I'm not horrible, I'm not terrible. I have a pretty good life, but I, I think most people through their lives have had people who have insulted them and run them down and those kind of things. You internalize that and you start to believe it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's taken me almost 50 years to say, you know, you're not, you're not horrible. You're not the best. You're not the worst. You're a pretty decent guy and you're doing the best you can and there's room to improve. If you are the best, you are the best for you. Mm-hmm. Good point. That's, 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 you know, you're not as handsome as, as this guy, and you're not as rich as that guy, and you're not as fast as this one, but you're the best for you. And there is only one of you. And you know those you know those little tags you find, like, in your T-shirts when you buy them that say inspected by number 32? That I'm talking about. Do you know that before we came here, that we were inspected, and then God shot us here? <laughs> so when you're inspected by Him, why would you doubt yourself? You know? That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, that's an insult to Him, actually. It's like saying, hey, you know, you didn't look under this arm, you know? No, He inspected you, and then He sent you here. So love, love what you got. I like it. I like it a lot. Kathy, where can people catch up with everything you do, find the book, and find out about any upcoming appearances you have? It's, I, I really am very proud of this book. It's, it's an open book. It's open curtains, open windows into my life. And, you know, I want people to really understand that it, it's not a poor, poor, pitiful me story. Not at all. I'm a survivor. I got through that stuff, and, you know, I'm happy. I'm a happy person. But they can get it. it. The easiest way is to just go on Amazon. But it is available in any bookstores. You can always go to your even local bookstore and just order it. Um, Barnes & Noble carries it. It's easy to get. But it's a good read, and I'm proud of it. And I, I hope uh, some of your viewers take the time to, to give it a read. Well, I hope they do, too. There's so many of us that love Land of the Lost, and it's really an honor and a privilege to get to talk to you today. Thank you for your time, Kathy Coleman. Oh, my pleasure, Jim. The book is Run, Holly, Run, a memoir by Holly from 1970s TV classic Land of the Lost. Our guest has been Kathy Coleman, and I'll just say this, watch out for the sleigh stack. Well, thank you for listening to this edition of The Great TV Podcast. And again, thank you for those of you who have been with us and listened to the shows and sent in emails of support, and we have gotten some, uh, that uh, you'd love to see the show uh, going strong and continuing. And again, never say never. The uh, shows are going to remain up. I mean, I've had projects before that I've kind of put to the side, and I've picked them back up, and let's say let's dust it off and give it another shot, and that could happen here. But for now, we have no plans, and it's only for this podcast, only for the television podcast to have any new episodes in 2018, at least at this point. We thank you so much, and I hope you'll stay tuned to all of the other shows that I do. You can find them at jimherald.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, everywhere you hear fine podcasts. We also have a, a great app called Jim Harold Spooky Studio where you can keep up with all the spooky goings-on and podcasts all in one free handy-dandy app. We hope you'll check that out. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure coming into your podcast receivers for this show. I hope you'll continue to listen to my others. Thank you so much. Have a good night.